Welcome to the Staffing RecOps podcast, where we interview leaders from high-volume staffing and recruitment firms on the operations, strategy and business processes that they've implemented or are implementing. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to like and subscribe. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcoming to the show today, Christina Miner. Christina, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Christina is Senior Director Credentialing Operations at AMN Healthcare based out of Texas in the United States. AMN Healthcare is an innovative leader in total talent solutions for healthcare organizations across the US. Christina joined AMN Healthcare as a Regional VP in June 2009, has been promoted three times during her tenure and has been in her current role for a little over six years. Uh, the overarching topics of the podcast this quarter is of course focused on onboarding, retention and reskilling. Christina, can you explain to the audience and myself what exactly your job entails? What do credentialing operations mean in AMN terminology and what are the challenges and solutions as you see them? Sure, no problem. So first and foremost, super excited to be here. Um, so as you mentioned, AMN Healthcare is um, a workforce solution. So what that actually means is um, the, at the core of our general business is we do offer short-term solutions. Um, so healthcare professionals to fill in voids within hospital and healthcare facilities across the United States. And so with that, that includes nurses, allied healthcare professionals, uh, nurse practitioners, CRNA, physicians, and so a vast array of healthcare professionals across the United States in various uh, hospital and various settings in the serving, serving our healthcare community. And so what the credentialing operation entails is ensuring when we're onboarding those healthcare professionals that we are um, qualifying based on their background check and verifying, so oftentimes prime source verification of their licensures or any, any credentials that are required based on both the federal, the state, and then the facility specific requirements. So the, the actual operation that I lead is more of an art and not necessarily a science, since there is not standardization here in the United States across all of the states and all of the facilities in regards to credentials. So as you can imagine, one of the challenges is really as I think about what my teams do and how they work to ensure these qualification metrics are all met, perfect, by the way, is the expectation. So everything must match perfectly. And so there certainly is an art in understanding the requirements at a federal, state, and then at the level of what the facility or our clients who pay the bills are asking for. So some challenges certainly come, come into place as it relates to the nuance of varying requirements or facility specific items that may not be necessarily industry standard. So as we think about solutioning and how to really change the marketplace, it's it's presenting clients with standardization of credentials um, and really encouraging um, any type of advocacy efforts that we can do with the client or even at the state level 
so that there becomes some more consistency across the healthcare space across all 50 states here in the United States. And how has that changed over time in terms of how you actually process that, the, the actual hands-on operation? No, it's such a great question. So, you know, well over 30 years ago when AMN Healthcare first came into the market of temporary healthcare staffing, American AMN stands for American Mobile Nursing. So it started with nurses. So back then, they were paper files. So if you can imagine this, right? Our nurses are mailing or FedExing their paper files. These are being reviewed or then maybe faxing or FedExing over. And so if you think way back 30 years ago, that was a total different environment. Um, now, fast forward, we all know that we have access to, I mean, we're on a call across across the world together right now. So we have a lot more access. So when we started was before internet was a very normal part of our day to day. And so here we are, fast forward to, you know, 2023, we do have access to more technology than, than we did when we first started this business. And so when you think about the healthcare professionals, and because this lifestyle in many cases might be transient, meaning they may be moving from different states or different locations, the one thing we all have in common and we always have in our back pocket is our cell phone. And so the more that we can allow our healthcare professionals to either through way of our app that we have created for our healthcare professionals to use, upload documentation, maintain that right in there, sign documents, e-signature that is friendly and interfaces with your cell phone, the easier and more efficient we all become because we can satisfy those credentials and we can get those document, documents then filled um, filled out more real time and more than ever. So you really have to make sure from, uh, from our app perspective that it's easy to use, it's intuitive, there's self-service. Folks may be working in, you know, with nurses who work in the emergency room or various hospital environments. It's a, it's 12 hours on and then they meet 12 hours off and we don't know what hours they're working and so they can then use the their cell phone at any time that is convenient for them so we need to make it as easy as possible on the healthcare professional side and then the other side of that is once we retrieve that documentation how do we become so efficient so it's speed and quality we can't lose any of our quality but we have to go as fast as possible because these communities are counting on these healthcare workers to come and support them. You mentioned that there are a lot of different roles, various settings, various clients, of course, with different requirements that you're you're trying to standardize for them. What what's what's the sort of size of the operation? Are, are you credentialing across the entire business or Yes, so um, there are various business segments that, as I explained, so if I was to quantify the volume, just to give you a quick like peek in, um, my direct operation team probably is responsible for roughly 5,000 healthcare professionals across um, the United States. So in all types of healthcare facilities, states, all 50 states, um, 
but I'm one of several who, who lead the credentialing operation. So that's just in my direct span. So in addition to onboarding and ensuring accurate credentials, we also need to make sure those are maintained throughout the assignment. It's critical that nothing expires. Um, so, so hopefully that's helpful. Thousands of healthcare professionals. That's certainly a large volume for anyone to manage. So in terms of managing that, what automations do you have in, in play? How, how does it change across time now? I'm assuming requirements still change now, even if you're trying to standardize for your clients. Yes, absolutely. And even when you think about licensure requirements here in the United States, when the pandemic hit, there were certain states that actually adopted shorter pathways through, so through endorsement, um, emergency, you know, state of emergency for various um, states. So they might have had a quicker pathway. Well, now that things have kind of normalized and stabilized, many of the states are going back to, I'm going to call normal. Um, and many of the states are actually looking, or some of the disciplines are looking to adopt more of a compact licensure. And so that's kind of one of the big industry changes. We saw that in the nursing field, they, they were groundbreaking first in, in adopting it. We've seen it in the physician space, um, and we are seeing it also in physical therapy, and there's some legislation out for speech language pathology. So um, the simple answer is, when you look at compact licensure, it's the standardization of allowing this state licensure that you have in your home state to be leveraged in any of the states that have signed up for that interstate licensure. So that's one of the, you know, one of the really exciting kind of components that is, is changing. So when there are those changes in the industry, how quickly are you able to adapt them adapt to them internally in terms of your own systems and processes? You know, that's a really great question. I think it depends on the scope. We do have a really rigorous legal team that needs to ensure that, that we are understanding exactly what those changes are. And so our process as defined, you know, in, in alignment with our corporate compliance and JCO. So we do have a vetting process. So I will say that that we have to account for some time there. Once it pulls through the vetting process, depending on how what what it looks like today and what might change, so current state versus future state, we can operationalize a change pretty quickly. So assuming everything has been vetted from a government, federal, legal, um, we can go ahead and implement changes within, I mean, frankly, a matter of weeks. Now, as far as being able to adjust kind of, I'm going to call it internally, our systems and processes, that could take a little bit more time to have our systems catch up. But if we need to I'm going to call go old school and work out of spreadsheets in the interim in order in order to ensure that we're effectively supporting. We can do that. Um, so we worked we work on an agile methodology, meaning working to implement the changes so that once they're vetted and, and compliant and we make sure that they're good to go, we can work in an agile way and implement those quickly and then get our systems to also support that.
So do you have an ongoing relationship between yourself in operations and your internal IT where you're you're regularly reviewing these things or, or is it more there is a change now we need to get together to review it? We have a regular cadence. So I meet, you know, and even within our IT team, we have the, the team that manages our app. We have an automation team for those new automations that we're considering. Um, we have a team that manages our various SOAR systems that we work in. So even within the various groups that I oversee, there's several brands and several SOAR systems. And so we have various teams that support us in that way. And we are meeting with them at minimum once a week to review those. And in addition to our IT teams, so internally, we also have meetings with our compliance and regulatory teams to ensure that any change that we are potentially considering are vetted from both a clinical perspective. So our clinical senior leaders are definitely engaged and have a seat at that table our regulatory and compliance. We have a very formal process to ensure everything is vetted and then pulled down into the operations and getting our IT group to support us in, in, in that way. So you're, you're an established operation the company has been around for 30 plus years. It sounds like you've got a very established operations procedure, how you work internally, how you respond to the market, how you constantly review what, what takes up most of your time as an individual? today in your role? That's a great question. So I think first and foremost, I am leading a people-centric organization. So both I have my, my organization, so my direct reports, and then lead, they are leaders of leaders. And so there, there is this people component of what we're doing. And an element, I mentioned it's an art. There definitely is this compl compliance component. But at the end of the day, I'm managing a group of people who are then working with people. And so the healthcare professionals are very busy. And so there's some of that dynamic uh, and pressure to ensure that we get it right, but we get it done. And so, <clears throat> so there's a percentage of my time that is spent with my business partners to ensure that we're delivering the quality healthcare professionals that we've committed to our clients and customers. And so some of that is a lot about managing my people ensuring my people are meeting the metrics, meeting the expectations. I'm so proud of how well they're doing, you know, right now in this moment, as I look at our, our metrics and measurements of success, but it's important that we keep each and every one of those top in mind. And so in addition to looking at those at a macro level, I'm also teaching leaders at an operational level how to be leading their te their team specifically and so there's a big there's a big chunk of my job that's spent with people leading there's a lot of matrix in terms of what i do and so while i might lead this specific operation it's very important that i'm understanding what our next new business opportunity is and what's coming into the pipeline. So I also integrate into a part of the sales component. So there's a smaller percentage, but it's important for me to have that understanding so I can adequately support and prepare my operation. I do think a large, there is a probably a 20%, 20 to 30% of my time is spent on that implementation stage of whether it's compliance at a facility level, so perhaps we have a new 
facility requirements, whether it's compliance at a state level. So looking at implementing these new items and how we can be more effective with our IT partners and our source systems so that my team can ultimately be, frankly, producing more um, clearances for these healthcare professionals to be properly onboarded and ready to go to their to their positions. What you were saying about people leading and, and leading people who are themselves leading people, is that is that the piece that you mean is is the art side to it as opposed to the scientific side when you talk about there being an art to compliance and onboarding? You know, it's actually a little bit of both. So it's both, yes, we're leading people, but we're also working to get these healthcare professionals who are very busy and likely serving communities today to ensure that they're meeting every bit of their credentials for this upcoming assignment. And so applying the appropriate amount of pressure because we have facility deadlines, um, but still doing it in a delicate and compassionate way that that keeps in the, the back of their mind that they are providing a critical service to the communities that they're in. We are working to ensure they're either remaining compliant for their current assignments or their current placement, or we're working to ensure that we're collecting all of the necessary credentials. So when I said an art, it's almost a bit of that. So, um, you know, in my bio, you saw that, you know, I started a large portion of my career was on the recruiting side of the house. And so there is a very large, when you think about the supply and demand within the healthcare space, we have a lot of demand across the United States as it relates to needing healthcare professionals. And there is limited supply available, and then even more limited on who might be interested to take temporary contracts and move their life. And so we have to be really intentional behind the messaging and how we're working with those healthcare professionals that said, you know what, yes, sign me up and I'll do it. And so my backdrop and my experience leading that recruiting arm and that recruiting operation allowed me to, to really have that perspective coming into leading this credentialing operation. It's not necessarily just about checking off every credential. It's also how we do it, how we communicate. So we, we want to have definitely technology that supports the work that we're doing, but there's also that human interaction, that telephone call, that email, how that message is being received is, is such an important part of how we're working together. Ne next quarter, we're going to be talking more about messaging, and I'd love to have either yourself or, or one of your colleagues um, on, on the show again when we when we come to that. Um, you talked about KPIs earlier and, and making sure that you're you're hitting the right metrics. What are the, I'm sure there's a plethora of metrics that you're, you're, you're keeping on top of, but what would be the key metrics that you're very focused on at the moment? Sure. So I would say one of the very key metrics is quality. We expect 100% quality. That is our expectation. So perfection. So let's just be very clear. We're putting healthcare professionals to work. They need to meet every one of those credentials. So quality is really, really at the number one. The other metrics include the volume of healthcare professionals that we are clearing on a weekly basis and ensuring that we are meeting that expected start date. 
that's proposed. So we have some metrics in there that are baked about how many we expect to clear and at what percentage. There can be delays as it relates to if there's a background check county or a potential delay on a drug screen result. So, you know, we're mindful and understand that uh, we also have, you know, due diligence to meet before we can clear them. But it's, it's so when I think about my most important KPIs or key performance indicators, absolutely quality is number one. Nothing that we do should happen without quality being the number one thing. And when I say quality, what that means is compliance with the state, federal, and then the facility guidelines as they've laid them out for the healthcare professionals that we're, we're putting to work. Thank you for that. The, the way you were talking earlier about how you work within the business, how you work with your business partners, how you work with compliance and legal and IT, it sounds like you've got a very defined structure there. It sounds like you also have quite a lot of autonomy in your role. Would I be right? You are right that there is a bit of autonomy. I do think that that comes with time and experience, both in the role as well as at my organization. Um, my perspective allows this unique lens in that I've seen the business from, from the various angles that allows me to sort of see that whole picture of what we're all trying to achieve. But I do agree there, there certainly is autonomy. There certainly are powers at B and I, and I need to ensure that I, you know, I'm informing and staying aligned um, and all of those items. And with that, that's why there is a bit of a, a matrix in what I'm doing. But, but yes, I agree. I do have, so, I have some, some healthy autonomy in the work that I'm doing. At what point do you need to go up the ranks to ask? How, how big does a change or a project need to be to have to go and, I don't know, get executive sponsorship, for example? I think that's when an impact analysis comes, comes into play. Um, anytime there's a large source system change that may require, <clears throat> I would say, a level of effort of, let's say, four weeks plus, I'd want to ensure that we're that I'm providing that full picture. I, we do try to follow a really due diligent approach with change management. I think that's really an important component, and with change management becomes this approach of in informing all of the executive sponsors. So I don't need my executive sponsors to understand each and every detail. What I do need to ensure that they understand is any of the outstanding problems that I might be approaching, any of the showstoppers, so to speak, um, and that they're supportive in the direction that we're going. Every single change that we're making as an organization does come with an operational cost. Time is money, time from the IT team, time from the operational leaders. So, so we do have, I'm gonna call it our change management standardization and within our change management comes a normal report out that includes those executive sponsors. Um, and I really try to work with my leader to ensure as we're meeting one-to-one -one that I'm going through those. If it is a large enough project that needs sign off, I will both send it in writing, including all of the supporting documentation, 
work to make it as concise, I would say as easy to say yes is my recommendation for any newer operational leader. Make it easy to say yes by presenting your business case to the, you know, the said leader or executive sponsor and then providing the supporting documents um, and then covering, covering that in any follow-up meeting that you might have scheduled. So, so the change, I would say, the answer is the good old fashioned, it depends, <laughs> but certainly really work to keep my leaders informed, both my leaders, my direct leaders, but also my matrix leaders. So I have presidents that are relying on, on me to see through this operation in a way that ensures that their business is successful. There's been a lot of change, of course, with how your business had to react and engage with both clients and the workforce through COVID as we've come out of these lockdowns. What does that look like now? Has a lot of the, the change in practice implemented now stayed? And do you feel like you're in a better position because of the changes made during COVID as you so come out of the other side of this? Sure, I'll focus internally first. So I think what COVID allowed us to do as an organization was to, to figure out how to work remotely. And so introducing this new workforce dynamic that allows folks to work from wherever they are. So pre, you know, before the pandemic, there really was a strategic approach on hiring people within our local office to ensure that face-to-face -face and the training and all the things that go with that. So the dynamic that stuck and stayed with us is now our talent can work from anywhere. We have a remote onboarding plan. And so that change, that's gonna be a part of it. We're gonna attract and retain the best talent there is in the industry because we've lifted some of those restrictions to geographic areas. So that's one change that's certainly for the better. Um, from a, from the environment of the healthcare facilities, I think it's allowed healthcare executives and communities to think about the credentialing requirements and what is truly necessary and what is, you know, versus what, what could we potentially consider removing or reducing as it relates to the credentialing requirements. And so at the macro level with our client space, it's still a dynamic and changing environment, but it has caused us that pause. And that pause is just enough to have that crucial conversation. My last question for you, Christina, is what are the trends that you're seeing come through now? What's, what's changing at this point in, in time? What do you think is the next big task or adaptation that you need to make? That's a really good question. I think there are dynamics that are changing within the marketplace where folks are ready to go back to normal. And so for the last couple of years, there have been some client adoption and even state adoption where we had what might consider, you know, crisis requirements or crisis licenses or various processes that might have shortened it up. So the next thing that we're faced with is, is clients are ready to go back to normal, but it's that negotiation with where can we standardize and look to really stay with 
as few requirements that are really, really necessary. And so I would say from a credentialing perspective, that's certainly what's changing right now is there is a dynamic of changing requirements at bull, you know, at many levels where folks are ready to go back to, to normal. And in order for my operation to effectively deliver, we have to maintain and understand those changes in our SOAR systems as well as at an operational level for that credentialing analyst who's speaking to the healthcare professionals. So that's the most critical component is as there shifts and change in, in the facility expectation or in the expectation overall, that my team is prepared to execute and not miss a beat with any of it. Christina, thank you so much for bringing us into your world today. Thank you for your time. Sure, you're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you to our listeners. Please like, subscribe and share. And more importantly, let us know if there is someone you would like us to interview on the show and what you would like to hear them talking about. What strategic and or operational changes are you planning to implement in your staffing slash recruitment firm? Lastly, thank you to our sponsor employee providing front and middle office solutions to a range of staffing and recruitment organisations on the Salesforce platform. That's all for today. James Lawton signing out.